gets a goal, loose puck, and he scores! Ty Gaby! Can you believe it? Up the boards, can't get it out, Sweeney blasts for it, scores! Gretzky controlling it, inside the blue line, Gretzky gets it, he shoots, he scores! This is one of the best World Junior games we have ever seen. Hey, it's Bryn Griffiths along with Paul Almeida, and this is Canada Bears Sportcast. Paul, how you doing? I'm great. This is the last one of these we're doing here. It is. The next one will be there. The big show. Yeah, all, all excited, all set to go. And I know you see it completely different than I do. Let's talk about that before we get to our special guest, who is Mark Spector, who's just written a book on the World Juniors. Let's talk about the differences for you and me on this trip. How many people are going? 300 people are going on the trip. Biggest trip for you ever? Uh, for one single trip, yes. Okay. Wow, that's a lot of people. And, and we got together a few weeks ago with everybody at our little uh, our warm-up kickoff act, party, kickoff yeah. party, and we had, what, about 110 people? Yeah, there? it was really, really good event. It was, you know, great to meet uh, a lot of new people that are coming on the tour for the first time. It was also good to see a lot of people that are joining us for the second, some of them the third time on our World Juniors trip. And uh, just their looks on their faces when they got their packages was worth it for them to, uh, you know, open it up and see all the little goodies that are inside. A lot of them immediately put their jerseys on. It was a very nice event. And we had some really nice guests as well. Uh, Robert Clark singing the anthem. Uh, Lars Caillou uh, doing some uh, comedy at the end of the show was yep. really good. And uh, I think the opportunity for... Uh, people to meet you and our photographer Rob Hislop was uh, important as well. Also our good friend Marty Forbes is coming along with us from the Edmonton Sun. This is going to be a blast. I'll tell you what I took out of that uh, that evening and that is we had 110 people there and I thought it was great. The energy level was through the roof and I thought to myself we're going to be doing a podcast after every Team Canada game and we're going to be doing it in a room that's going to have twice to almost three times as many people in there it's going to be a bit of a zoo and, and adrenaline they're going to have the adrenaline after a game going. absolutely love it and the other thing too is that and i don't know did i mention this to you we got to have a nickname for our hospitality suite yeah we we've got to come up with something like it, it can be the canadian zoo or the the canadian nuthouse i don't care we'll, we'll find and if somebody who is coming along with us has got an idea Pass it along. Just send me an email at mightymouth at shaw.ca, a potential name for that room. Uh, that would be way more fun than just calling it the hospitality suite. It's got a, doesn't really have a vibe about it or anything. That's okay. Right. So now, uh, before we get into what I'm going to be doing there, and before we get to Mark Spector, so you've got 300 people going on this trip, and they're coming from all over with the exception of PEI. And Nunavut. Nobody from Nunavut? No, Nobody. Not that I know of. Okay. But yeah, they're coming from all across Canada. So it's really great to see. I know uh, in the past, people have brought the provincial flag to wave as well during the tournament. And uh, uh, it's really great to get 
a cross-section of people across Canada. It makes everything so much more interesting when you're there to have uh, people beside you one day from Quebec, another side from BC, another you know friend in front of you from Manitoba. And a lot of these people that have come on our trips before, they love the World Juniors because that's the time that they get together and see each other. They stay in contact after the World Juniors, which is great, but this is an opportunity for them to get together, support Canada as a nation together, and also share some good times together. It's one of the reasons why the Grey Cup has worked for so many years. It's Absolutely. the exact same thing. It's almost yep. like a convention. And that's exactly what it is. Like there are people that I run into at Grey Cup and I don't see them for a whole year, but I know them and I know I'm going to see them yep. at that particular event and you can hardly wait. Now, the one thing that we have to tell everybody about this podcast is while we're excited and talking about the fact we're going, we're going to be doing podcasts that you can listen to at home back in Canada, or even in the U.S. if you want to tune us in. And we'll talk about your team because your team is going to be good. Uh, that's They will be good. That's what I'm hearing. They will be very, very good. So, uh, so don't be afraid to tune us in. And also you'll hear we're going to have some fun and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then back to the tour, I was looking at your itinerary. Everybody's going to be all over the place. We've got every day filled. But the thing that's most numbing to me is I don't know how you do it. But there's a million buses moving a lot of people. <laughs> we have seven buses going in different directions every day. Um, so, uh, you know, there are there is a lot of logistics that's involved. But uh, uh, we think that, you know, we want to give people the maximum ability to see what there is to see in that area of the Czech Republic. And we want people to enjoy the tour, not only for the hockey, but for the country itself and for the experience of being over there. Now, I'll tell you about the podcast after we get to our guest, who's Mark Spector, who's written a book. And uh, Speck, I've known Speck for a long time, 1982 or 83. Wow, he must have been 12. Uh, we were, I think I was 10. Just kidding. Uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, we were in our mid-20s, but we were both kind of just getting rolling a little bit. But Mark has been, uh, you know, has been a very solid journalist for a lot of years. Yep. He loves doing the editorial run because he can basically say how he feels rather than just do the, the cover the beat. But he's also written some books. And one of the things we talked about is the fact that he's got one out right now. Well, let's get right to it. Well, of course, just in time for the Christmas season and the World Junior Hockey Championship, it's Mark Spector who's got a book out on the World Junior Hockey Championship, and he joins us now. Speck, how you doing? Oh, doing just dandy, boys. How are you guys doing? Fine, thank you. Great. Hey, gotta gotta ask, what made you think about? You've written a lot of other books, but this is kind of a different venture for you. Yeah, I, and I'm not a junior hockey sort of. Some of these guys, especially guys from Ontario that grew up in and around junior hockey, like Jeff Merrick and Sam Cosentino, and those guys. You know, I'm not. I grew up in Edmonton, and most of my life didn't have junior hockey. But, of course, I'm like everyone else, right? Fascinated by the World Junior every Christmas and and fascinated by the stories. I know a lot of NHL guys who played in all those big, big World Juniors, and I've had a chance to talk to most of them, and uh, their tales were quite intriguing, gentlemen. This is an event that a lot of people credit to TSN for taking a, a good event and making it fantastic. It's certainly a go-to thing for Canadians over the holiday season. Do you see it that way? Well, there's no doubt that it all changed in 91 when TSN bought in and started showing every Canadian game, right? Like, today's 20-year-old says, 
your 30-year-old, I guess, would say, oh, yeah, I grew up watching the World Junior. Our family would wake up early when it was in Europe, and we all gather around. And, but guys our age, Bryn, we didn't grow up watching <laughs> the World Junior because no. it wasn't on, you know, CBC had come in and show you the gold medal game if Canada was in it, right? Yeah. And if they weren't, if they weren't, they didn't. So, you know... Yeah, TSN has brought this thing to the masses for sure. And, you know, good for them for recognizing it originally as a property that might be good for them. And and I'm not going to give them a ton of credit for maintaining that product because you'd have to be awfully stupid to let that thing go the way it draws uh, Canadians over the Christmas season. Would you agree, Speck, that also part of the rise of interest in the tournament was established uh, due to the rivalry between Canada and the Soviet Union, which obviously was further elevated with the punch-up in Piastani. Yeah, oh, for sure. And in many ways, Paul, like, when this thing started in the 70s, the Russians were really good. They had a good U-20 team, and they won it every year. And frankly, Canada, a guy named Murray Costello for hockey, uh, the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association back then, he got fed up with us sending over teams that couldn't handle Russia. He always thought, you know what, we're, we're better than this. And every time we send over a Memorial Cup champions, minus two or three of the guys that helped them win last year, we're getting crushed. So, yes, the Soviets were the bar for Canada to reshape its program, come up with a program of excellence, and just go about it a different way because we had to figure out how to beat Russia because, as you all know, you know, no Canadian likes losing to Russia much in hockey. <laughs> no, they don't. And uh, <laughs> would you agree that the best tournament in history is probably the 2005 team? Well, the best team in history, right, the best team in history would be in North Dakota, sure. Uh, if you look at the cover of my book, that's the picture. Uh, uh, they're all yeah. huddled around the net. And if you look at the names, of, the name bars on the back of those jerseys, guys, crazy. like, it's a, it's a, Half of them are Olympians. You know, Shea Weber's an Olympian. Sid Crosby, Petrice Bergeron, Ryan Getzlaff, Corey Perry. Uh, it just goes on and on. Like, that was clearly the best team. A lockout year, so nobody's playing in the NHL. Clearly the best team ever to put on a World Junior U-20 uniform at any country. And so, Paul, yeah, it was a great team. It was a fun tournament if you're Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but there wasn't a lot of doubt. I'm not going to say that there's a lot of cliffhangers going on that year. No. Going back to Piastani for a minute, uh, I do recall, and that was a tough day for me because we were coming back on the Moose Jaw Warrior team bus from the memorial oh. service, the memorial service in Swift Current for the Broncos who died in that bus crash. That's, and, that's right. And that's so, right. so we're coming back from that memorial service, and we went. Chi Canada's playing Russia today, so we turned on our radio station, and uh, sure enough, on the newscast, they said that there had been this brawl in Piastani, and that uh, Theo Fleury and Mike Keane of the Moose Jaw Warriors were prominent, and I think we needed a good, we, we needed a good laugh on the bus, because everybody just basically uh, started laughing hysterically. It was too funny. However, having a chance to talk to Theron, he said, Boy, that whole situation was crazy. However, it drove them to the gold medal in Moscow the very next year. And he said the team that they took over the following year was so great, Joe Sackick was the number four center. <laughs> there you go. So, so, so uh, Pia Stani, if you're writing a book about the World Juniors, I'm guessing that's in there. 
Oh, yeah, there's a whole chapter on Fish Danny. And, and like, I think we all know there's a big fight. Canada lost, you know, their shot at a gold medal. And, and they turned the lights out. Like, that's fascinating stuff, but old news. You know, just as an aside, I learned in researching this, that chapter, that they'd actually had a moment of silence for those, uh, for that Swift Current Broncos uh, bus crash before the game. And uh, in Pistani, I had no idea about that. But it turns out, of course, they were near each other on the calendar, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the cool stuff about Pistani that I had no idea, like, how did it turn into such a huge brawl? Well, Brennan Shanahan and, and Chris Joseph both said the issues were that Canadians know, like, we knew how to brawl. We brawled all the time. Luke Richardson first came back after the Pish Danny brawl. He went back to the junior team and he got in a bench clearing brawl in Ontario. Yeah. So so we knew how to brawl. We got it. Four or five guys would fight. Ten or twelve guys would stand around. The scorers would grab each other, right? The light guys would grab each other and they wouldn't fight. So and then every no one would really get thrown out and we'd continue our hockey game. Like that's how we did it in Canada. But what was interesting was the Russians didn't know this. They had no idea. They'd never been in a bench-clearing brawl. So the Russian guys thought everybody had to fight. Every guy had to fight. And so now there wasn't three or four fights. There was like 20 fights. And the Russians didn't know how to fight because they never fought before. So they were kicking. And they were, they, you know, they wouldn't stop when, when guys fell down. They kept fighting. They got up and fought some more. And the point I'm making is the, the, the sheer veracity and the size of that brawl, I'm not saying Canada's blameless. They're, they're 50-50 here. But the reason it got so out of control was the Russians had never been in one of these things and didn't know what to do. And they, it was fight or flight, man. And they just fought, 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 fought. And, you know, that's why everybody lost control. And then let's turn out the lights. That was a good plan. And let's assign a Norwegian referee who's never refereed at a high level before to do that game as well. I still remember Mike Keane telling me the moment the lights went out, he said, I turtled because I just didn't, you couldn't see anybody. And then you have Theo running around saying that he went around and tried to suck as many Russians as he possibly could. (laughs) Probably says about as much about the two guys who are very competitive. (laughs) Well, Well, you know, the the other thing that was pretty cool, I thought, was you know, we all remember Don Cherry yes. and Brian Williams oh, on, the, yeah. uh, that sun, on that Sunday afternoon because the brawl happened in the morning Canadian time, right? And that that big brawl, uh, you know, obviously they came on TV and they debated it, and Cherry jumped, you know, defended the Canadians right away. That's who he is. Uh, and then the very next night, he and Michael Farber had a similar debate on the National CBC National, but. I think, we again, what I didn't know anyway is, if you look back at the timeline of hockey guys, there was very, very soon after, within a few months, the NHL instituted huge fines and suspensions for coaches and other players in brawls. So they immediately legislated brawls out of hockey. I think there was only one or two more bench-clearing brawls in National Hockey League history after that. And the other thing that was quite interesting was Canadians took this long look at the, at the kids we were producing and how the minute two Russians skated by our bench, we had this bench full of 18, 19-year-olds who were like Pavlov's dog. They just jumped the boards and started fighting. 
And I think Canadians all across the country kind of looked at our system and the, the way we play, and we said, what are we producing? We're producing kids who who their their first thought is, let's go beat the crap out of somebody. And we're this passive nation, right? We don't do a lot of wars, and we're not we're not aggressive people, but you put a hockey stick in our ha- stick in our hands, and we turn into this these thugs, and it really changed the way Canadians look at brawls and at hockey and at fighting, and it's never been the same since 1987, that's for sure. That's always intrigued me, Speck, the difference between how we perceive ourselves as a nation <laughs> and then how we perceive ourselves as hockey players around the world. It's a totally, it's a totally different uh, spectrum of where uh, we think Canadian values and Canadian, uh, the, the way that we react to things uh, are. It's, uh, it's quite something. I've been in that rink in Piestani, and it's not much of a rink, I can tell you that. Uh, is but, the lighting better? No, it's not. Okay, it, just ask. They, I don't think they needed to turn the lights <laughs> off. I, we played a game there, and there were shadows <laughs> everywhere. So uh, I wanted to ask you, Speck, you know, we're going over uh, to the Czech Republic with a group this year, and the one thing that's always interesting to me is the difference in pressure on the Canadian team between playing at home and playing in Europe. Uh, while you're doing this story, uh, did you find that to be something that came up uh, once in a while about the difference between playing at home and playing in Europe? Yeah, yeah Connor McDavid talked a lot about how when when he was in his first year under Brent Sutter. Yeah, we were there. Uh, that was in Malmo, here. 2014. Yeah, Malmo, right. Was that 14? Uh, 16. Uh, no, 14. 14. 2014. 14, I, I, get, I, I think they mixed together. But anyway, he said, you know, we played the, the round-robin part in a small rink, I believe in Malmo. Yes. And it was filled with Canadians. Or certainly, I mean, it only held 3,000 people or something, and there was probably 2,000 Canadians. So he said it was like, you know, we, we were at Muswell been at home. It was awesome. But then in the medal round, they went to a much larger rink, yes. which had... Now, you know, I'm not sure if some of the Canadians went home or what happened, but certainly the same number of Canadians was a drop in a bucket when they went into uh, a larger rink to play filled with Swedish fans. So it does make a difference. Like, at least a portion of your tournament becomes almost like home games. And, you know, the, how, you know, the pressure in Canada, like the other part, Paul, that you mentioned is, is like gold or bust. Right. Oh yeah. That's a that's a term we throw around in Canada. Gold it's or not bust, fair. It's, it's all not fair matter. to these kids. Well, you know, I think that too. But I asked that question to twenty five different pros and coaches and organizers and and guys who played in the NHL, guys who didn't, and I didn't get a single guy who said, "Oh, it's too much. We shouldn't do it that way. It's it's hmm. too much pressure on the kids." Every single guy, and notably Connor McDavid, said, oh, no, 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 that's exactly how it should be. Uh, they all accept it, they like it, and they don't want it any other way. And I thought that was kind of interesting. The memories, too. You know, you talk to players, and you certainly talked to plenty, and I've talked to plenty about the this event. And they, there's always a smile that comes on their face when they talk about it. And they talk about that 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 uh, bond with that particular team that you, because I guess you're only with that team for a short period of time and so much can happen over such a short period of time that there's a, a there's just something magic there. Did you find that from the guys you talked to? Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, because it's, you know, you're putting on the Canadian jersey. So 
especially when you talk about guys like, like let's say that 05 team, which had a lot of good players, obviously. Remember, the program of excellence starts when you're like 15. They start identifying you. So guys start playing hockey with each other. Like there was a group of guys like Matt Dumba and Morgan Riley and um, – Oh, I'm trying to think of the other two defensemen. There's four defensemen that went one, two, three, four in the WHL draft. These guys started to get to know each other. Uh, Shea Weber and Dion Phaneuf were a couple guys. They started playing together when they were 16, right? And we don't watch those tournaments. They're not on TV. They went over and put that red jersey on for the first time, and then they played together at U18s. And now they're playing together at U20s and, you know, having some success. And it's really the last time... Okay, some of them get to play in the Olympics. Right now, nobody gets to play in the Olympics. But it's the World Junior. We tune in as Canadians, and we go, hey, these kids are playing for Canada. But for them, it's the, it's for a lot of them, it's the end of a progression. They've been playing for Canada for a few years with each other. And this is it. And this is the big one. This is the World Junior, the U20. They may never play in another team together again. So, you know, it's a fraternity these guys have, and... I'll tell you what, like when Sid, Sid Crosby and Patrice Bergeron became great friends and roomed together, they room together at Olympics now, they play together on lines at Olympics, and when those two guys see each other on the ice in a tough Bruins-Penguins game, when all hell's breaking loose, you know, they got a little nod for each other still, right? Because of what they went through wearing the Red Maple Leaf. Part of the interest nowadays as well is the NHL draft. And, of course, everybody watches. And, of course, as a fan of the Edmonton Oilers, you've been watching very closely to see who the number one pick was the following year for many of these years. But it's also drawn interest in some of the other teams around the world where now we're watching the Americans to see who their top players in the draft or players that have been drafted by your teams. And the same thing with the Swedes, the Russians, and now some of the lower countries that we're paying more attention to, like the Swiss uh, that has drawn some uh, interest into the tournament as well, hasn't it? Well, yeah, and, and, and the whole, I mean, it's such a new world now. You know, I talked to Troy Murray, okay? He played in 1981, the first World Junior, where we picked the team the way we pick it today across the country, and he didn't even know any of his Canadian teammates, right? Yep. There's no internet in 81. He doesn't know guys coming out of the West, the East, Quebec. He's playing at... at uh, um, oh, my dear. Is North Dakota. He's playing at North Dakota. Right. Yep. Right? Yep. So he doesn't even know his teammates. Then they start playing in the World Junior, and there's some famous guys on the other teams, like Pavel Burry and stuff. They don't have a clue who these guys are back then because <laughs> no one knows each other. We don't know who yeah. Pavel Burry is when he's 18. Fedorov and all those guys are up in Alaska. Um, anyway, today... Not only do we know who the other players are, we get a chance to look at them when they play Canada, but now, like years ago, a, a TSN exec told me we were terrified that we were going to have to show a gold medal game between like Russia and the States. It, it scared the hell out of us because we knew no one would watch. Well, today, I mean, not only do we love sitting down in front of a Sweden-Russia semifinal or something, right? Or we watch the States play the Czechs or Finland. And they're great games. Yeah. We get to watch all these kids you're talking about. But we, if you really want, you can go over to TSN 4 and watch Denmark play Slovakia. That's, right. that's what does it for you. And you can see the next Anze Kopitar, whoever's coming out. Of, you know, I know he's Slovenian, but you know what I'm saying. You can see these kids. 
years ago, we didn't see him until they walked up onto the draft floor. Well, I'll tell you a funny story, Speck. In 2016, we were in Helsinki, and Canada was playing Finland, I believe, in the quarterfinals. And I remember going to the, to the game, and a lot of the fans in our group were, oh, Finland's a pushover. It'll be no problem. Mm-hmm. Little did we know <laughs> that players like, you know, Rantanen, Aho, Puli, Arvi, Laine dotted that lineup <laughs> and absolutely just ran over that tournament unexpectedly. And that's the, yeah. the, the fun of the World Juniors is you're seeing stars being made right in front of your eyes. Well, and their first big, big, like, yeah, they've played in U16s and U18s and things like that. But particularly when it's in Canada, this is the first really big stage for these guys. Tuka Ras told me, he said, Matt, I skate out in Vancouver to play against Canada. There's 17 or 18,000 people at Rogers Arena. He said, like, I've never seen anything like this before. This is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's on live TV. It's going home to Finland. The place is packed. We're playing Canada, like, intimidated. Oh, my God, he says. We were so intimidated. It wasn't even funny. So, <laughs> you know, these kids, like, it's we get to see them. And you know what? Some of them, they take that energy and they just thrive on it, right? And yeah. we watch them play. Like, they, they say that Forestburg's World Junior, I wasn't there, was just a tour de force. Uh, Pavel Burry played in, a, I think, three, certainly two, unbelievably great player when he was there, just head and shoulders. Jerome McGinley in Boston was just a tour de force the whole way through. So some of these kids really thrive when they get, you know, they meet that new level of expectation and pressure and spotlight, and they find a new level themselves. You and I have covered the NHL a fair bit. I've actually worked behind the scenes with both the Oilers and Jets, but when I was with the Oilers, I really noticed there's a lot of action on these games because these players at the NHL level, uh, it may be a cohesive unit as a hockey team, the Edmonton Oilers or whatever team it is, but the moment that World Juniors starts, you see the divisions in that room <laughs> big time because the Finnish guys are pulling for the Finns, and it, it's pretty crazy. I love that part about it, actually, is the fact that the NHL guys kind of split off into their own nationalities for that event to watch it. Well, they do, for sure. And you know who's a proud little nation right now are the Finns. Like, you know, there's a couple, there's a Finn on every NHL team probably, maybe two. Uh, And that little country, boy, it's smaller. Like, they got four and a half million people, less than Ontario. And they won the World Junior last year. They've won World Championships. They're winning. They're punching way above their weight. And those couple of quiet little fins in the corner of every NHL room, man, they're high-fiving each other. They're, you know, they're beating Canada these days. And don't think that the Canadians and Americans and Russians aren't starting to take notice here. Or the Swedes. <laughs> oh, are the Swedes. They love to give it to Sweden, too. Now, we know you got a, a couple of book signings on, on the go here, so we won't keep you too much longer. Uh, I, just one quick one for me, and then I'm, I'm sure Paul will just wrap this up. But when you were writing the book, was there one story that just jumped out and you went, I never saw that coming? Uh, that's a good question. Let's see. Well, you know, one of the stories I really enjoyed was was I followed a couple of goaltenders. Um uh, Justin Pogge. You remember Justin Pogge? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in the Vancouver 2006, uh, Tuka Rask was in goal for for Finland, and he was a Toronto property at that time. And Justin Pogge was in goal for um, Canada, and he was Toronto property. So the Leafs were like, hey, we got the two best goals in the tournament. Well, 
we all know they traded Raskin. Hoagie never really panned out, right? He never played much, and he's in, today he's playing in Sweden. And the year before, uh, the goalie's name was Glass, and he never played either until like two years ago in Edmonton he got his first game after playing about 14 years in Europe. So I kind of followed these two goalies who won gold medals for Canada, yet they never, you know, they never got the career that they were hoping to get, right? They never played in the NHL very much at all. And certainly in the case of Glass, he came back into a Chicago Blackhawks dressing room, guys, about 14, 15 years into his pro career. He's finally going to get a start. It happens at Edmonton. And one of his teammates from that old world junior team, Brent Seabrook, had played like 980 games in the NHL. And now he's playing his first game and Seabrook's in front of him on defense. So, you know, we always talk about all the stars that are born there, but some of the really cool stories are guys like that, that they were stars when they were 19, but man, it was sure hard to be a star after that. We're joined by uh, Mark Spector, author of Road to Gold, The Untold Story of Canada to World Juniors. Mark, that was going to be my last question was something along those lines. Every year we see kids jump up and have great World Juniors, and they're never able to translate that into a great NHL career. And we can list off many, many kids who were fantastic at the World Juniors and just can't make that step. So even though the World Juniors are the pinnacle of junior hockey in terms of the best on best, it's still a huge step to pro afterwards. Oh, for sure. I mean, listen, it's it's sort of a... It, it, look at Jesse Pugliarvi. Let's talk about him. You know, MVP yep. of a World Junior. Uh, his own his own line mates were Patrick Liney and Sebastian Otto, and he was deemed to be better than they were. Yep. And look at what great NHLers they are, and this kid's struggling just to make it in the league, right? So you just don't know. An old scout always tells me, he says, you just remember that they drafted Alexander Digg ahead of Chris Pronger. <laughs> so when someone says that everybody knows what they're doing, don't forget that that happened once. <laughs> so <laughs> you know what? You don't know. Some kids peak at 19. It's the best they ever get. Yep. And other guys don't make that junior team. You know, Curtis Joseph wasn't even drafted. Look at all the... Guys like Luke Robitaille that Adam went late in the, in the game, right? So oh, yeah. you don't know. You just don't know, and that's what makes the beauty of the sport. Speck, thanks for your time, and good luck with the book. Sounds like uh, there's a lot of interest already, and we love that. All right, boys, thanks for the for the time. A lot of fun talking to you, and, uh, boy, have some fun over in Checo. I sure wish I was going to Prague with you. There's black beer, I'm told. I don't know <laughs> uh, very much other than that, but we'll. Uh, I guess we'll have to find out. I'll guide Bryn around, don't worry. <laughs> All right, boys. Okay, as we uh, close the lid on this episode of Canada Bears Sportcast, let's talk about what we're going to be doing over there. Uh, there's two ways you can catch the action. One, we'll have a schedule up on the website, which is telling you when we are live doing a podcast slash streaming show. And uh, the other thing, too, is that when we are touring on those off days, we're going to just be feeding some stuff back from wherever we are. Yeah, on social media, yeah. on our Twitter accounts, um, on our website, you'll be able to have a link on there where you could find all those. But uh, as we go, we're going to be going to a lot of places, doing a lot of activities and tours and events. So it's a way for us to bring you a little glimpse of what we're doing over there on a daily basis. And it's a great way for 
family members back home or people who are maybe considering coming with us the next time to see the type of things that we do on a daily basis. You will be able to be envious that I've tried the black beer at the town square, the markets just before Christmas. Uh, we're going to be feeding stuff before this event when we're in Prague, but I- I'm looking very much forward to it. And then, of course, on the days where Team Canada plays, we go back to the hospitality suite, which we're calling it still, and we'll change that. Uh, we go back there, and then as soon as uh, our buses roll into uh, into our location, we'll be on the air, and we're doing this two ways. One, we're taping a podcast, but we'll be live streaming while we tape that podcast. So you're going to see behind the scenes a little bit of us getting ready to do the podcast. So if you want to watch it and listen to it live, you just have to go to YouTube, and uh, we'll tell you how you can track us down. Just go to the website, your website. And then uh, if you don't get a chance to see it live, you can always go back to YouTube and watch it, or you can download the podcast, which you've probably already done if you're listening to us right now. And it's just going to be a lot of fun. We're going to go probably an hour. It depends. If we're highly emotional off of a big Team Canada win or a big Team Canada loss, uh, we will, uh, I'm sure, who knows how long we're going to go, right? We'll go as long as people want to talk to us, I guess, over there. And as long as we think we have, uh, you know, good content to, to bring you. And, and we're going to bring you a lot of good content uh, during the tournament. Uh, we'll be talking to people. We'll be analyzing some of the things that are going on. And most importantly, we'll be giving you a glimpse again of that atmosphere at a World Juniors and, and why that tournament is so important to us all. Okay, let's tell everybody the website. Uh, www.azorcan.net A-Z-O-R-C-A-N.net Is it time to turn the lights out on this episode? It's time. All right, well, let's do it. 